Now, you're probably thinking, I hope you're thinking, actually, <laughs> you're probably thinking that, that we ought to be, uh, if, if we're going according to schedule, that we should be in Mark 10, verses 17 to 31 this week, which is the, 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 the story about the rich young ruler. But I was looking back through some of the sermons that I did and realized we preached from that very passage only last November. And we really covered it well. <laughs> so, um, for those of you who might not have been here, uh, I can give you a filled-in copy of the handout from that sermon if you'd like. And uh, just let me know and I'll email or print you one. And if you really want, you sweet talk me, I might even give you a copy of the sermon. Ooh. And you can preach it to somebody else. That'd be great. Wow. Huh. It's been a really interesting week. Um, I don't know how many of you follow tennis. Oh, that many. Okay. Well, we had a, uh, a, actually a, a great tournament last week where a Canadian girl actually won Wimbledon. And there's a lot of, and, and sports is big. You know, like, it, it marked it on the calendar. A Vancouver team won a game last night. The Whitecaps actually beat, beat the team, one zip. Yeah. But all through life, it seems that we're very sports-oriented in our culture. All through life, we get these messages, and a lot of them are from sports teams or from, from uh, athletic companies. Things like, we're told to go for it. You know, uh, from, just from day one, it seems, we're, we're told things like, be all you can be, or just do it. Now, we know who, who gave us that one, of course. Uh, how about second place is the first loser? How many people have heard that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, or this one, if you don't plan for more than you possibly can do, you're never going to do all that you can. I know some people live like that. My favorite is this one. It's actually, uh, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. It's actually, it was a statement by uh, a UCLA Bruins coach named Red Sanders. But most people think that Vince Lombardi actually said it, the NFL coach. But it was actually Red Sanders that said it. And that's, that's stuck. I mean, uh, yeah. And a lot of us, a lot of Christians plan their lives this way. They're, uh, we're achievement-oriented. We, we always are going from one thing to the next. Uh, we want to do good things. And, and we plan our lives full. And sometimes we go from one thing to the next, but we never have that feeling of being satisfied. What would you do if you spend your entire life climbing a ladder of success and you found out it had been leaning against the wrong wall? What do you do? That looking back, that you've discovered that you'd expended a lot of energy doing things that that ultimately really didn't matter. There, there's a way to ensure it doesn't happen, and it's straightforward, and that's the slide that I asked Isaac to put up. I'll put it up now. Here it is. That's a way to prevent that. Listen carefully to God. Listen carefully. That's it. But, but let's face it. We aren't always good listeners, are we? I'm not a good listener. Ask my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, I try. I really do. But we're not always good listeners. Sometimes we need to hear things a number of times to, to really, before they really sink in, before we absorb them. 
and, 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 and we have to hear them more than once to really grasp their significance. That was the experience of the men and the women who walked with Jesus in the beginning of his ministry, especially the disciples as they followed him around. Jesus and these guys, his disciples, have been together now for almost three years. We even called them by the group name, the Twelve, capitalized. They've been together almost three years now, and it's only taken us eight months to cover that whole time in sermons. They've learned from him. They've learned in private settings. They've learned in public settings. They've watched him drive out demons. They've watched him heal the sick. They've watched him give sight to the blind. They've watched him amaze the, 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 the common folk that came out. And, and they've watched him confound the religious leaders with what he said and did. They and we have reached a turning point in Jesus' ministry. Because the time has come for him to do what God sent him to do. And in today's uh, Bible reading, we're going to see that Jesus has now turned and he's turning toward Jerusalem and to the final events of his earthly life. And, and what is about to happen should not come as a surprise to his disciples, but it still shakes them. And even though he's already told them twice what's going to happen, they don't really understand. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, I, I feel for these guys because they're just like me or I'm just like them. Sometimes I don't hear well and sometimes I don't listen well. And so, Father, as we look at this and we hear what Jesus says to his disciples, we include ourselves among them. Speak to us that we also can learn what Jesus wants imparted. We ask in his name. Amen. So these guys, um, they, they, they have this, they're having this argument as they go along the way. And we, we already heard one of the things they were talking about was, you know, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But they're, they're, they're now going to argue and they're talking about an issue that still shows they don't, that they're still thinking in, in, in earthly terms. They're still thinking about kingdoms and political leaders and, and, and government, how to govern once Jesus comes to power. They've got it figured out. They think, pretty sure he's the Messiah. But now they're going to be talking about how he comes to power. And they want to be part of that group, that, that in crowd, that those high profile jobs. They want to have high, high positions in Jesus' government. They are going to be shaken to the core by the events to come. So be careful what you ask for, because what they ask may not be what they really thought they were going to get. Following Jesus sometimes means not knowing what to expect. Following Jesus sometimes means going places we wouldn't choose to go. And yet, following Jesus is what it means to be a disciple. If we will follow him, we will see God do amazing things. And we will experience the joy of knowing Jesus. But along the way, there might be a few bumps in the road. So today, it's kind of like a, you know, like when you get your car ready for a long trip across country, you kind of do a tune-up and 
You check all of the fluid levels and that. This is kind of like a tune-up before setting out on that journey to Jerusalem. Uh, and what we want to look at in, in, the, in this particular passage are four things the followers of Jesus experience if they choose to walk with him. If they choose to walk with him. Four things that you can expect if you're serious about this, this faith life. That's what it means, faith life. There's no way around them. This, this is bottom line stuff. Uh, what can we expect and what should we watch out for? So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10, skip over the passage we preached in November, and start at verse 32, and we're going to read right through to verse 45. Mark 10, 32. New International Version. But if you want to follow along in your own, by all means do so. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. That was a, a phrase that meant the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the ten, that's the other, the other ten of the twelve, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and he said, You know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Whoa, there's a lot in there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, where do we start? Okay, great expectations for the Christian life. Uh, no, no, no reference at all to Charles Dickens. I stole the title, Fair and Square. Great expectations. First thing you need to know about walking a Christian life is to expect periods of high anxiety. They're going to happen. Jesus 
may ask you to go or will ask you to go where you might not choose to go. These 12 are going to Jerusalem. Isn't that where all the people that, that, that have the knives out for Jesus are? Why are we going to Jerusalem? Is Jesus looking for trouble? Well, they trust him enough to follow him, though. And so they go. But they're amazed that he would go there, and they're afraid. Why, why are they afraid? Do they fear persecution or suffering, perhaps? They've already experienced some of that. Uh, from, and they've seen some of the opposition from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They've already seen a bit of that. Maybe they're worried about more. But time's short, so Jesus takes them aside to tell them in detail what's going to happen. Now, he has told some of this to them before, twice, but he has never told them why it must happen. Someone's going to hand them over to the chief priests and the scribes. And it's going to be personal. It's going to be betrayal by one of them. Ouch. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be charged with blasphemy against God. Convicted and condemned to death. But the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, doesn't have the power to carry out a death sentence. And so they're also going to turn him over to the Gentiles to the governing Romans who do have the power. And under their auspices, he will be tormented, mocked, spit on, beaten, blindfolded, punched in the face. And then he's going to be tortured because that's what scourging was. It was agony. Prisoners often died from shock and loss of blood brought on by that kind of serious whipping. And finally, he'd be killed, crucified, hung on a cross, a slow, agonizing death from asphyxiation. But three days later, he will be vindicated. He will rise again to life. If they were nervous before he took them aside, I'm wondering what they're thinking now. Now, Mark doesn't actually record their reaction, but I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm thinking it was something along the lines of, what on earth have we got ourselves into? And he told them what's going to happen, but he didn't tell them a few things. He left out a few details. Here's what he didn't tell them. He didn't tell them that his betrayer was going to be one of this inner circle, one of the twelve. What a horrible thing to spend three years with somebody and then find out after three years that person is going to betray your leader. They're going to find out that all of them are going to bail out. All of them are going to desert him in his hour of greatest needs. Um, Fulfilling another prophecy of the Messiah that strike the sheep and uh, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. They are going to be so frightened that they will even deny they know him. And 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 that as much as they want to follow him, they are going to fail him. And they're going to end up huddling behind closed doors until they discover that he's no longer dead from alive because he's risen. 
But until that point, they're hiding. And they're going to learn from themselves later, after the resurrection, they're going to see that the, their fear can be conquered, but it's only going to be conquered by faith and trust and confidence in Him, in the risen Lord Jesus. But, but they don't know that at this part of the journey. That's, we get to know that because we see the whole story. We, we know the afterside. They don't. They don't have all the details. That's our lives a lot of the time. God does not give us all the details of our lives. You know, I'm kind of glad that he doesn't because I, I'm not sure I, I would want to know every last thing that is going to happen to me. It might overwhelm me. It might discourage me. Some information is given on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> Jesus says, follow me and I'll be with you even to the end of time. But how do we handle those things in our own lives? How do we handle those periods where we, 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 have, we are in those high-pressure, tense, anxious situations? Well, if we're honest, some of, them hand, some of us handle them pretty poorly. And yet, Jesus says, I'll see you through. I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Be strong and courageous, as the, the, the uh, quote from Joshua says on your, on your fill-in handout. Paul described it this way he, in a letter, Apostle Paul, into the church at Philippi. He said that when he wrote, he said, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We don't always remember to do that, do we? I, I, I spend a little time. No, I want to be anxious for about a week first, and then I'll remember and come to you, Lord. Yeah, but that's what God promised Israel through Joshua when he said, have, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. He even repeated, he said, be very strong and courageous a few verses before that. He said, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God goes with you wherever you go. When crises come, don't let them catch you off guard. They're, they're part of the package. It goes with the territory. That's the first thing. Second, you're going to discover that your, your reason for wanting to do things will change. Your motivation will change. I, I find James' and John's request amazing. They're really, they're, they're really men of faith, aren't they? I mean, seriously, we want to be on both sides of you, Lord. Yep, that's us. And so Jesus tells them all these things. And then he said, okay, Lord, so they kill you, and then you come back to life, and then we conquer everybody and toss out the Romans, right? They don't doubt him. And then they go on to say, and then when that happens, can we sit on the thrones beside you? Because that's what they're asking. They're not asking to be first ministers. They're asking to be co-rulers on left and on the right of the Messiah. Remember last week's sermon? 
Jesus told them that anybody who left job, family, security for his sake would receive a hundred times as much. That's true. He said, we will be rewarded. That's not in question here. James and John will be as well. But it, it's almost as if they've missed hearing everything he's just said about Jerusalem. And they're only looking down the road to after it's all done. They're still thinking rewards. And they're still asking him for positions of honor. And they want the status that goes with being part of that leadership. They, they still don't really comprehend that Jesus' kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. That it's a spiritual kingdom. And they totally misunderstand what it means to be his disciple. Do, do they understand? Who will be on Jesus' right and Jesus' left when the glory of God is revealed? It won't be them. Because Jesus' glory began to be revealed when he hung on the cross. And on his right and on his left would be two thieves. God's kingdom was ushered in by Jesus' death for the sin of the world. And he led by example. And he was willing to give his life. Primary motivation of a disciple should not be the possibility of reward. That's not a primary motivator. We should be motivated to serve out of gratitude for Jesus and for his sacrifice for us, for me, for you. And obedience, following our obedience, should be, that should be our motivation to follow and, and out of gratitude for being forgiven and being, being reconciled with God and being set free and released from those things that hold on to us all through Jesus Christ. So, we need to be cautious not to let our own ambition or any expectations of reward get in the way of what we're supposed to be doing and cloud our vision. Because the image that we need to keep in our mind is Jesus leading his disciples to Jerusalem and all of us behind him following. Leading his disciples to Jerusalem to lay down his life for us. So we can expect some anxiety-induced in producing times. Um, and we've got to trade out that reward-based thinking and, and, and replace it with serving out of gratitude. But the third thing we, we do need to understand is to expect a steep cost to this. A steep cost. There's a high cost to being a disciple. And Jesus questions them on this because Jesus knows what it means to be a disciple. He knows what he's asking of them. Excuse me. And so he, he asks them, really, seriously, this is what you're asking me. Can you do what I'm going to do? Can you? Can you drink the cup I drink? Be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. He's saying that to them and to us that to be a, a disciple means to identify with him in those things. So identify with him and perhaps even participate in suffering, and to endure similar treatment as he was given. And so he asks us, he says, are you ready? 
Are you ready to follow me even if it means suffering and death? Or even if it means your family might mock you? Or even if it means that your life might be in danger? Uh, we prayed this morning in our, in our time before church for a group of 60 um, uh, former Muslim believers who are going to be meeting together for some training and discipling and some courses in a, in a somewhat closed country. I don't know if we can tell people even where it is, but it's going to happen in September in the Middle East. And so we're asking prayer for safety as well as for those 60. Last year there were 30 who came for this training. This year they've doubled. And they're going back into areas, as we heard earlier today, where it's the fastest growing part of the church in the world. There's no world. Anyway, that's, that's, sorry, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail. But he's saying, can you do that? Do you think you can? He knows they're going to actually drink from that cup and they're going to have that kind of adversity. As a matter of fact, uh, Acts 12 tells us that James was put to death by the sword on the order of King Herod. And John was exiled to the prison island of Patmos. He lived a long life but he was exiled and was on a prison island breaking rocks. When we stand before our peers and our friends and we are baptized, we are identifying with Jesus. And similarly, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, in communion as we did two weeks ago, we are identifying with him. We're acknowledging that we're his disciples when we do those things. We're drinking from the same cup. But what we're saying really is, live or die, we're going to follow him because that is the pattern of the cross. He already told them, uh, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me if you want to be my disciple. That part they already knew. We... What we're saying, if we do say that, is we're going to live the way Jesus did, even if it means giving up our life for the sake of the gospel. We have people here who are prepared to do that. I know we do. We have sent people from this church who are doing that right now. Family members of the Bertels who are in an area of Mexico that's very dangerous. Their lives could be threatened. They've been warned. Hostile setting. Uh, Sue and I have a, uh, know a single, a single mom in, in the Seattle area. Haven't seen her for, for quite, a, quite a long time now, but uh, she returned to school as a single mom to become a nurse. And near the end of her, her practicum, her final year, she was expected to assist in abortions. She refused on the grounds that as a follower of Jesus, she could not in good conscience participate in a procedure designed to end life, not to honor it. And she was told, quite plainly, if you don't agree to do this, we won't hire you. No hospital will hire you down here. She still said, I'm sorry, I won't, I can't. Now this story turned out well, because, uh, but she knows that high cost of being a disciple. She had her hopes set on being a nurse. But her story had a happy ending because she didn't get hired by the hospital, but she found a position as the camp nurse 
at a Christian retreat center instead. And so she could be a nurse and honor God. Expect high anxiety. Don't let ambition get in the way of seeing what Jesus really wants us to do. I recognize that steep cost of following. And the last one, the last one today is, and we've covered this before, expect to serve, not to be served. Not to be served. I, I love this, verse 41 here. It says, the other disciples, when, when they hear what James and John have asked, they're indignant. They're really ticked. Mainly because they didn't get to Jesus and ask him before them. Their reaction shows they have the same desires that those guys did. And that's why Jesus has to, okay, let's go over this one more time. And he calls them all together again and explains it again. How should a disciple live? He wants to, us to live to the highest standard. Actually, he doesn't want us to live up to it. In a sense, he wants us to live down to it. Because even though that sounds like an oxymoron, the example of this Jesus that he gives us, which is true leadership, is humble service. Humble service. And, and he describes it to him. He says the, the, the pagan rulers of their day, the people who were governing them at that point, they loved being rulers. They, they loved the perks. They loved the authority. Even the question Pilate asked, when Jesus stood before him, and Pilate, as though it was going to intimidate Jesus, said, don't you realize I, I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus just said, you wouldn't have any power at all if God didn't allow you to have that little bit. They love it. Jesus says, don't model yourselves after them. You aren't to be like them. If you're my followers, model yourself after me, he says. Uh, Paul wrote about that also to the, to the Philippian church earlier in the letter from where we were before. He said, uh, chapter 2, he said, don't be selfishly ambitious. Don't be full of yourselves. Take the attitude of Jesus. Even though Jesus was in very nature God, he didn't hold on to that. He became one of us and took the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the humiliating death of the cross. So he says, if you want to be great, be a servant. He says, if you really want to be first, be a servant to all. Some of the role models in our culture are, uh, are pretty poor. Um, I, I can appreciate their honesty, if nothing else, of a guy like uh, former NBA star Charles Barkley. He's from a couple generations, well, about 23, 25 years ago now. Um, Charles Barkley, a self-described sports bad boy. But he insisted at least, he says, I'm not a role model for anybody. He says, just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. Well, thank you for that good wisdom, Charles. But the trouble is, you can deny it, but because he's a celebrity, he is a role model. A lot of people will look at that and miss this. At least he knows that his actions are nothing to look favorably on, although I kind of wish he would understand that, that maybe that there's a better way to live. If you want to be a good role model, 
if you want to a good role model, it's Jesus. Be a servant. The first time Jesus used that word was actually the word for a table waiter. The second time he uses the word, which is right here, the word is doulos, which is, means slave. It was the bond servant. It was the lowest position in a household. It was the person who did everything that nobody else wanted to or had to do. All the menial tasks that no one else did. Well, what are we going to take away from this one? Well, I, we pretty much got it. Uh, the power structure of God's kingdom, it's just inverted. It's inverted. The greatest of all is the servant of all. The supreme example, Jesus. He says he served all humanity by giving his life as a ransom for many. That was the new information that he gave his disciples this time when he told them. First time, he told them why he was going to give up his life. He gave it up for all. But not everybody will receive it and, and receive eternal life. The word he actually used for ransom was a word litron in, in, in Greek. It was a word that actually was the price. It was, it was a, a, an amount of money paid to free a slave or to redeem a pledge. But there was another connection too. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 30, uh, it was a term, the equivalent in Hebrew, was a term for the annual half-shekel price tax paid to the temple that went to support the sacrifices for people's sins. It was the temple tax that paid for the sacrifice for sins. And the disciples would have picked up on that. Jesus paid a price we cannot pay for ourselves. We don't have the currency to redeem ourselves. We can't pay for our sins, but Jesus can and did. He ransomed us. And having paid the price with his life, he was raised to life to show that God's justice was satisfied. Because our Redeemer, our Ransomer lives. I am redeemed and he lives. So be careful what we ask for. Can we drink that cup Jesus drinks and be baptized with the baptism he's baptized with? We can and we will. It's the cost of being a disciple. Thank him for that. Thank him today. And follow him. He is the servant of all. Let's pray. Lord, when we sang, give myself away that you could use me. That is another way of saying these very words. We will follow you. And when we say our life is in your hands, we truly understand and mean that, Lord, because without you, we would not have forgiveness. We would not have eternal life. So we say thank you. 
And my prayer today for us, Lord, is that the, the words of the songs and the words that we've heard Jesus say would resonate in our hearts and lead us as we serve you. And whether, Lord, it's going to a, a country where it's very dangerous, or whether it's just being ourselves and serving and loving the people around us with what comes from that. When those things happen, Lord, help us to remember you did this. This is the way that you were treated. What would we expect? But to say again, thank you. You did what we could not so that we could have this. Lord, it is so good to be be forgiven and free. I thank you. I thank you for your ultimate example, the way we should serve and love each other and love you by doing so. In your name we pray, Jesus.